welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me once again today. Hey, if you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. Now, you can also head on over to Instagram and find me there at Speak a Dogcast for more dog training pictures, content, all kinds of good stuff. Yes, you can also find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash speakadogcast. And if you'd like to support the show even further, you can become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And of course, guys, if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, scroll on down, click that five-star rating, leave me a review. If you're on YouTube, click the thumbs up button. I would appreciate it so very much. So thank you guys for that. Now on today's show, I would walk my dog 500 miles and I would walk him 500 more. Not really, but you get the point. We're going to talk about the walks today. Then comes tools of the trade, all the different tools that comes to dog training. Guys, walk into a pet store and it's so overwhelming. Go on Chewy, it's overwhelming. There are so many different tools to choose from. We're going to cipher through them today about the good ones, the bad ones, what ones you should and maybe shouldn't use so much. Then we have the History of Animal Mascots 101, followed by the listener Q&A. If you have questions for the listener Q&A, you can keep sending them my way. You can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com or message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, which animal group makes up the largest percentage of the world's organisms? Yes, which group of animals makes up the largest percentage of the world's organisms? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speaky Dogcast, I would walk my dog 500 miles. No, I'm not really going to walk my dog 500 miles. Like, let's let's be realistic here. But it's a fun song, right? I liked that song. Uh, any of you younger people who don't know it, go check it out. You have all the means to do it. I would walk 500 miles. Okay, so <laughs> and I'd walk 500 more. I wish people would, at least over the course of a period of time, walk their dog 500 miles, right? Like, um, over the years, I, I would love that. That'd be great. But the reality is... The reality is, vast majority of dog owners do not walk their dogs properly or even close to enough or often enough. Whether it's the length of the walk or how, it's never done enough. I mean, if I'm just kind of like guessing a percentage, I would say less than 20% of dog owners walk their dogs enough and properly. That's that's my guess um, from what I have seen over the years, from when I just go out into public and walk my dogs. Um you know, funny, funny, actually quick story. You know what? Quick story about today. Today I was out walking, uh, eight dogs and I mean, not that it matters, just, you know, eight dogs, I had a bunch of dogs with me. It's, it's not like I'm out with just two dogs or three, dogs, eight dogs with me. I'm out in a public park and I'm walking and I see these two ladies coming for me, you know, walking, coming for me, walking toward me. They're not coming for me. Uh, they're walking toward me and they have, I believe both of them were German shepherds, right? I knew one of them was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to my eight dogs and their behavior. I'm not concerned with what the breed is of that other dog over there. Okay. First thing to take away from that story is notice I'm not concerned about what the other dogs are doing at first. The first thing I'm worried about is what's going on with my pack, my dogs, their focus. And these dogs are coming toward us with the owners, and they're definitely not controlled. You know, they're they're pull, practically pulling their owner down the road. 
Um, they're not focused. They're not listening. They're out in front of their owner. And they're not barking or going nuts, but you 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 can tell, right? Like you can tell these two ladies just do not have control over these dogs. And look, I'm full full honesty. Um, one of my dogs that I had with me, hackles are going up. I can see the fur going up, and there's a reason. And the reason why is these two dogs are out of control and literally staring all my eight dogs down, staring them down, like not looking like, hey, ooh, what's going on? No, staring them down. Guys, that's. That's not a proper way for another dog, let alone two, to, from a distance, greet other dogs. I mean, they are just. And so one of the dogs I had with me viewed it a little bit as a threat. And I, I get it. Like, you're staring you down as they approach you. And the owner's response is, oh, they just want to say hi. Oh, look, at they just want to, they, they want to, they want to sniff butts. <laughs> And it just blows my mind that here I have one of my dogs, their hackles are standing up, and she thinks, oh, they all just want to say hi. This is how far removed from dog behavior we've become, people. That they don't even understand that their dogs in in that moment are actually the problem. What should it look like? My dogs are kind of glancing over, looking away, glancing over, looking away, not staring six feet out in front of me. You see the difference here? I have two dogs that are literally... They may not be looking for a fight, but they're creating one just by how they approach another dog because they're not doing it correctly. And one of my one of the eight dogs I had with me took it as a, I'm not so sure about this. Now, we're not going to get into the owner of that dog and the fact that they don't follow through with training a lot. We're not going to talk about that today. And that could be part of the problem, too. So both dogs a little bit were in the wrong, but notice seven out of the eight didn't do that. Okay. But there's a reason that one did choose to go that route. So nothing bad, hackles, you know, no growling, no barking, nothing like that. Just a little bit of like a, hey, I'm not so comfortable with this, David. Um, anyway, the importance of walking your dog properly. All right, so that's that's kind of the side story I'm getting to is we don't, those ladies were not on a walk with their dogs. They were on a stroll. What's the difference between a walk with our dog and a stroll with our dog? Is there a time and a place for a stroll with our dog? Probably. Uh, but me personally, I don't know. When I'm out on the leash, I need my dogs to be focused. When I'm out in public, I, I need them to be on the walk with me. I need them to be engaged in what we're doing and not have it be this free-for-all, which is what those other two ladies are doing. That's a stroll. Guys, walks are meant to be 85% mental and only 15% physical. And the problem is everybody treats it the opposite way. They treat it the other way around. We focus on the physical side of it and we just out the door with the mental. We just, we don't even think about it. Like we don't consider that our dog's mental state and what they're doing mentally on the walk is more important than the physical side of it, right? So here's the thing. Dogs are pack animals. They're pack migratory animals. It is in their nature to be a pack, to do everything as a pack, to get up in the morning, to go for a walk. This goes back to domesticating, uh, to domestication and the domestication process with dogs. When we talk about dogs, we have to remember dogs are domesticated wolves. We have domesticated them over thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years uh, to create the product, the result that we have today. And whether we like it or not, we cannot remove the wolf. <laughs> that That's still in the back of the dog's brain. We can't just fully remove, just as we can't remove Neanderthal or you know whatever we were before we became homo sapien. We can't remove that basic instinct uh, that's always going to be there. And it's the same thing with our dogs. Our dogs are pack migratory animals. They are wolves by nature. And so to ignore, to ignore that side of it, it's going to get you bad results. 
This is why we walk our dogs, guys. We don't walk our dogs because they need to poop and pee. That's a part of it. Yes, they need to relieve themselves. But what about people who have backyards? I love, that's one of my favorite. Oh, David, we have a huge fence backyard, so we don't have to walk our dog. Guys, the example I always get, like, let's take that mentality for a second. We don't need to take our dog outside our home ever. They're fine in their backyard. So you want your dog to like live in a prison? You want your dog to literally never experience any of the world around them? That's what you're saying? You'd be cool. You'd be cool with sitting on the couch and you're not allowed to ever leave your home. You can just poop and pee in the same bathroom. Don't you want to poop and pee in a different bathroom? (laughs) Not us. We don't have that need. They do. You see what I'm saying here? We're taking a pack migratory animal. We're putting them in a house and going, well, they have a fenced backyard, so they're cool. Anybody else see the problem with that besides me? Like anybody? We want to take a pack migratory animal and essentially put a rabbit in a cage. Like that's what we do to dogs when we put them in a home and we don't walk them. So getting back to it, 85% mental and 15% physical. It is so important that you get your dog mentally engaged on that walk and we don't just let it be a free for all. Basic rules of the walk, guys. Basic rules. Like, here we go. It's pretty simple. Number one, our dog should never, ever, ever be in front of us. Ever. Unless we release them. Now, look. Haha. Always exceptions. I I say it often enough. I hope often enough. There will always be an exception to my rules. Always. Because this is psychology. This isn't just every dog is operating exactly the same level. It's just not how it works. There are going to be exceptions. There are going to be times when we can change that rule up. But these are generalized rules. Okay. And so for the most part, yes, my dog should never be out in front of me. The only reason my dog would be out in front of me is if I'm releasing them. Okay. They know they should be with me focused on the walk, but if I release them, they get, they can, they can kind of do a little more of what they want. So again, generalized rules. Our dog should always be in front of us, beside us or behind, or excuse me, should, (laughs) I messed that up, didn't I? Dog should never be in front of us, always beside or behind us a little bit is acceptable too. Okay. Um, think I meant that. I messed that up or did I say that right now? I'm questioning whether I actually screwed that up or not. Okay. Anyway, dogs beside us, behind us, never in front of us. Now I can already hear, oh, David, we know that rule because we have to be the alpha. We have to be the dominant one. No, that is not the reason. The reason is actually much more simplistic than that. Here it is, guys. Dogs can literally only focus on one thing at a time. Literally, literally only focus on one thing at a time. So if they're out in front of me and I'm behind them, They can't focus on me. The focus of the walk can't be on me at all because your dog is just out in front of you and they can't see what's going on behind them, right? So we have to remember that the reason dogs need to be beside or behind us and not in front of us has to do with their focus, not dominance, all right? So there's the first rule, beside or behind us, never in front. Second rule, we want to make sure we're using the right tools. That is our martingale collar, right? Martingale, M-A-R-T-I-N-G-A-L-E, martingale collar collar three uh, excuse me two-thirds cloth one-third chain collar then we're also going to have a six-foot regular rolled nylon maybe leather leash but none of these stretchy materials none of the extendable leashes none of this crazy stuff guys k-i-s-s keep it simple stupid all right martingale collar nylon six-foot leash okay that's the other thing we have to have the right tools and the other thing with the walk you know let's not forget our treats and treat pouch you knew it was coming all right don't forget to bring those treats and treat pouches with you so we can reinforce and strengthen desired behaviors that we see out on the walk okay so always have the right tools always have your dog beside or behind you never out in front of you another thing we want to take into consideration is always keeping a nice loose leash 
what you're going to notice about the leash is that it can get tight, right? The collar can get tight, the leash can get tight. And we have to remember that leash is a communication tool. If the collar and leash is tight, we're communicating tension or correction. And if the leash is nice and loose and the collar's nice and loose, we're con communicating, you're doing the right thing now, all is calm, all is well. So the problem is if we walk around everywhere with our dog with a tight leash, right? How many of you out there are guilty of this? We let our dogs pull us, the leash gets tight, the collar gets tight, and they just keep pulling and keep pulling and keep pulling. The reason why is your dog is feeling that tension and going, I need to fight against this, Grr. okay? A predator's natural instinct when they feel restraint or constraint, predator's natural instinct is going to be to fight against it. So we have to remember to keep a nice loose leash to create that calm disposition on the walk, okay? Next thing we want to know, a generalized rule about the walk is focus. Kind of have to ask yourself a question here. Do you have it? Guts. Oh, that was kind of funny. Do, 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 do you have it? All right, all my Nickelodeon people out there from the 90s, uh, <laughs> do you have it? Uh, <laughs> Do you have your dog's focus? That's the question you gotta ask. Now, we're not going into great detail about how to create that focus, but man, I got news for you. I have tons of segments all about training and keeping your dog's focus, creating that focus even on the walk. Uh, so go back, peruse through, check them out, all kinds of great segments on focus and the walk uh, and how to get those two combined. But you have to ask yourself, do you have your dog's focus? And if you don't, Guys, I can guarantee you the walk is not going to go very well, all right? So these generalized rules here are very, very important, but I would say the most important one out of all of those is going to be that focus. Look, I always say, if I had only two pieces of advice for training any animal in, this wor in, the, in the world, any animal, doesn't matter, dog, cat, bird, exotic animal, domesticated animal, if I could only give two pieces of advice, here it is. First one, own it. Act like you have done this a thousand times before. That confidence equals survival in the animal world, right? Confidence is survival. So acting like you, you know, you know what you're doing can go a long way. All right. That's the first thing. Confidence. That's what you got to have with training animals. And the second thing is know where your animal's focus is and have the ability to guide and direct that focus. That's all animal training is at the end of the day, guys. It's guiding and directing focus. So if you have the ability to control that focus, guide and direct that focus, you'll be shocked how much easier your walk will be. Biggest thing I want to stress today, though, guys, is is walking your dog. Like, get him out there. I, I don't know. Like, I'm sorry, soapbox moment here. I don't know why this is so freaking hard to take responsibility and ownership for your animal, your dog. Why is this rocket science? Like, I get if you can't do it seven, like seven days a week, 365 days a year. Yeah, that that's a lot. I get it. But you should be damn close to it. You should be. You should be. I'm sorry. I'm wagging my finger at all of you dog owners out there. Every single one of you, <clears throat> some family members possibly include, who are not walking their dogs enough and they're not seeing the results they want. I wonder why. The expert is over here screaming from the rooftops to get out there and walk your dog. What do I say at the end of every single one of my podcast episodes, guys? Get out there and walk your dog. I'm not doing it for the 20 billionth time. I'm not saying it for a catchphrase. I'm not saying it just to be cutesy. Yes, it works out that it's kind of fun to say and it works out as a nice little thing for the end of my show, but I love it because it's the truth. You have got to get out there and walk your damn dogs. Like, ah, soapbox moment. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm complaining. I am. Please get out there and walk your dogs every day, guys. 
Do you want to see a change in your dog's behavior? Do you want your dog to be calmer? Do you want your dog to be more focused? Do you want your dog to be more social? Do you want all of these amazing things for your dog? Then walk your dogs because that, that is where it begins. Starts, begins and ends, guys. It starts and finishes with the walk. And if you're not, I say this all the time. If you can't get your dog to listen and focus on two feet of leash, how the hell do you think you're going to get off the leash ever? I love that one. I come in and people are like, oh, I'm ready. I want my dog to be off leash. Well, that's nice. Does your dog listen on leash? Well, no, but I want to get him off leash. Can we do it in like a month? I, I, these unreal expectations that people have is just absurd because they don't want to put in the correct work, the correct time, the proper training, but they want the big result. Guys, you're never going to get the big result if you're not walking your dog. I'm just telling you the truth. I've seen it. I've seen pretty good dogs that don't get walked, but they're very well trained and very well stimulated. But they're not, they're missing this little, you know why? Because the walk is instinctual. I'm going to say it again. The walk is instinctual. And I don't give a crap what kind of amazing tricks and agility and fun things you've taught your dog. It will never substitute for a walk. It won't. It just won't because an agility course is not instinctual. Giving a paw is not instinctual. While yes, it's wonderful, it's stimulating, and I highly recommend doing those things with your dog, it's not instinctual. Do you want to tap into your dog's brain? Do you want to really increase the bond, the relationship, the trust, the friendship, the training, the listening, the focus? Do you want all of that out of your dog? The answer is yes. Then you have to walk your dog. I, I know there's a little anger behind my voice. You can probably hear it today because I'm getting very frustrated lately, guys. I'm getting very frustrated because of the lifestyle we as humans have chosen, which is go, 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 go. Cell phones, action, Netflix, Hulu, sports, games. We have to go, the kids have to do 20 activities each and, and, and oh, they're doing four AP programs, but that's not enough. Let's add on six clubs on top. Whether we like it or not, that lifestyle does not do well, does not do well for a dog. Because I'm not hearing walks. I'm not hearing playtime. I'm not hearing doggy day camps. I'm not hearing socialization. I'm not hearing enough exercise. I'm not hearing stimulation. If you want to fix your dog's problems, you need to take a good look inside at yourself and go, I'm not doing right by my dog. Maybe I need to wake up an hour earlier as much as I don't want to. As much as I need that extra sleep, my dog needs that walk, doesn't he? Ugh, I know, guys. Unfortunately, this is some recent experiences I've had where it's just, it, it's made me a little upset. And, and I have to apologize for my upsetness, if you will. But I think we're really failing our dogs. And the biggest reason why is under-stimulation, under-exercised, under-walked. Please, guys, I beg you, get out there and walk your dog. <music> Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At the Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com 
or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak A Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak A Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak A Dogcast, Tools of the Trade. Talk about the dog training tools, right? Tools of the dog, tools of the trade of dog training. There we go. So, look, there are so many tools out there. It can be a little much. I mean, it really can. Like, you walk into a pet store and you go, Holy hell, where do I even begin? Because there's 20,000 different types of collars, harnesses, leashes, treats, treat pouches, poop bags, poopy pads, crates, beds. I mean, all of these things can be considered a training tool because they can all add up to help uh, make your dog a better dog. Some of them better than others. Some of them I really don't use. Some of them I don't recommend using. We're going to talk a little bit about this today. So, <laughs> look, here's, you know, first and foremost, there is not one single way to train a dog. There is one single uniform thing when it comes to dog training, and that is the psychology behind it. The way animals learn doesn't change just because the instructor does, right? Like, let's... That's not to say we can't get to the end result in a couple different ways, because we can. But I'm telling you over the years, in my experience, I'm going to tell you what tools have worked best for me, what tools have not worked, uh, why I think you should use certain tools, why I think you maybe shouldn't use other tools, uh, and kind of go from there. But again, really, at the end of the day, the, the concepts are never going to change no matter what tool we're using. So some tools work better for those constructs than others. Now, when it comes to training tools, Obviously, the very first one we always think about is like a leash and a collar or a harness. And yeah, my God, I, I'm going to try not to jump on the soapbox too many times today. Harnesses are making me crazy, guys. It's on every freaking dog you look at. Um, and it cracks me up. There was a dog show, and I think I mentioned this a while back, and there was another one I saw recently, where they have these dogs and harnesses for this thing, you know. But the funny thing is they're also still wearing collars or they still have them on slip leashes even though they're wearing a harness. And it's like TV is trying to make it fluffy and look all nice, but the reality is the tool doesn't work very well. And so they may have a harness on, but they're also using a slip leash. The reason why is because the harness freaking sucks and it doesn't work. Okay. Like that's the, the yeah. look years ago, I had a buddy who, um, another colleague who, who had an opportunity to be on TV with dogs and dog training and things like that. He was approached by somebody and make a long story short. He wanted to use a Martingale collar and the production company basically said, look, there's been too much of another trainer using this these these kinds of collars or something similar to what you use. We don't want to use these collars because we don't want to attach a certain brand or naming or thoughts or emotions. So can you use a harness? And I loved it. I love his response because it was basically, no. Would you use a screwdriver where you'd use a hammer? No. Like, I can't just change the tool because it doesn't look good enough for TV. It's not fluffy and soft enough. I got news for you guys. Dog training is not always pretty. Like, if you have an aggressive dog that's coming for your throat, is that is that a pretty thing? Is that something anybody wants? No, but it's the reality of it. And if, you can, if you're going to sit here and think a harness is going to fix that scenario, you are either incredibly inexperienced, ignorant, or just straight up out of your freaking mind. So... <laughs> Like, that's the first thing I'm going to say when it comes to training tools, get rid of the harnesses. I'm seeing so many dogs out in public now wearing harnesses, and it's out of control. And again, I always pose the question, how many of those dogs and harnesses are actually walking well with their owners? Go pay attention, 
Come back and let me know the result. I already know the answer. <sighs> Get rid of the harnesses, guys. Just stop. Just stop with the harness. Oh, but David, it's the no-pull harness. Well, that's great. That, that's wonderful. You know, as seen on TV is a thing too, guys, but how often do those things work? Like, I love how just because it's being sold in a store, we automatically think it's a great. It's going to be great. Like, guys, come on. Get real. How many things have you bought in stores before that are not as advertised, that don't work as they say they should? Advertising and marketing doesn't mean a damn thing. Like, it doesn't mean anything, okay? Experience, okay? A professional suggesting it, sure. I still, to this day, with the exception of a handful of very inexperienced trainers, I have yet to meet an experienced well-rounded, successful trainer that recommends a harness. Still haven't met one. Where are they? That's right. Because it doesn't work, guys. It's not the right tool for the job. So when we talk about walking our dogs, it's got to be that martingale collar, two-thirds nylon, one-third chain. Okay, those are the best martingale collars out there. Martingale collar and a six-foot nylon or leather leash. Regular old leash. We don't got to get complicated with this stuff. Look, I, you'll see some trainers out there who are like wearing like these tool belts, essentially. Like they literally are wearing a freaking tool belt and they've got bottles and bowls and treats and different kinds of treats and different poop bags and different harnesses and collars and a clicker and a whistle. And they have all these freaking things hanging off their waist. And I'm like, look, I'm all for training tools, but if you need that many tools to get your dog to listen, you're doing something wrong. Just saying. Guys, when I go out into public, I sometimes bring water with me. You know, if it's hot, definitely going to bring water. Okay, it depends, right? Depends on how long I'm going, where I'm going. If I can get back to my car easily, sometimes I just like to leave the water in the car, circle back and take our water breaks there. But what I bring with me is leashes, collars, poop bags, and treats in a treat pouch. That's it. It's all I need to walk 20 dogs, guys. That's it. It's all I need. That's it. I don't know why we're making this stuff complicated by trying to add all these fancy schmancy training tools into our mix. We don't need them, guys. We don't need them. Dogs are wonderfully, wonderfully simple creatures. You notice how I say wonderfully? Because it makes them incredible. It makes them what they are. That simplicity is what makes dogs awesome. That simplicity is also how they're wired. And to ignore that simplicity by overcomplicating it with unnecessary tools, you see the problem? All right. So think about that. We don't need to overcomplicate this stuff for a simple creature. It's not a slight. It's not a diss at them. They are simple creatures and that's what makes them wonderful. So don't overcomplicate it with our training and our training tools. So when it comes to tools of the trade, you'll see trainers have all these fancy things. And all, oh, he must really know what he's doing. He's got a huge tool belt full of training stuff. Really? Um, okay. So <laughs> I see that and I go, oh, you haven't been doing this long, have you? Uh, <laughs> all right. So Again, guys, keep it simple. Treats, treat. Okay, now, excuse me. Next thing, treats and treat pouch. Yes. Okay. So we already have our leash. We have our collar. Treats and a treat pouch. Now, when it comes to a specific kind of treat, my personal favorite brand is a brand called Pet Botanics. B O T A N I C S. Pet Botanics. Really phenomenal training treat. It's small. It's meaty. It's stinky. They love them. Uh, the dogs especially love the bacon treats. So I'm all about it. Look, I'll be honest. In any small meaty treat that your dog likes, I'm cool with. I am a fan of making, you know, I like to I like to flip the packages over, guys. Let's read them. Let's make sure the ingredients are coming from good places. <laughs> All right, we've heard some bad stories about ingredients from China not doing so well with dogs. Um, so definitely read the package and know where your dog's treats are coming. I don't expect you to be a nutrition expert by any means. Um, and look, they're treats. They're not gonna be the best thing for your dog necessarily because they're treats. They're meant to be a treat, a supplement, a training tool, not a meal 
right? Um, so again, any small meaty training treat is all good with me. I want the dog to be able to eat the treat, it's gone, and we have the ability to give another. I don't like crunchy treats because they're gonna make a mess, they're gonna go to the ground. So again, to me, there's nothing wrong with using crunchy treats to give to your dog. It's just when it comes to training and working like in a training thing, I'm trying to get uh, info across to my dog, I wanna be quick. And the meaty treats allow us to do that. So a small meaty treat, my favorite one's Pet Botanics, and of course a treat pouch. All different kinds of treat pouches on the market, guys. To each his own on that. I have one that snaps open and closes from a brand called Pet Safe. I love it. It's a great treat pouch. Absolutely phenomenal. You can find them at the pet stores, Amazon, all that good stuff. Pet Safe makes my favorite treat pouch. I've been using their pouches for actually like over 10 years now I've been using those treat pouches. They are my hands down, my absolute favorite. Um, there are other kinds out there, you know, get teach his own, whatever you like. I like that mine closes shut. Sometimes I jog with the dogs, run with them. I'm moving a lot. I don't need my treats flying out everywhere. Again, kind of depends on what you need, what your specific needs are, but pet safe, good treat pouch. Love it. Okay. Um, crate. Let's talk about a crate for a moment. Now a crate is one of those tools, right? like a leash and collar we're always going to need at some point throughout our dog's life, even treats. I wanna be able to still reinforce uh, intermittently behavior, right? So the treats in a, in a collar and a leash, that's something that's always gonna be there. But a crate is something that I hope to get away from eventually. It's one of those training tools that I don't want it to always be there. I personally like being able to leave my dogs out in the house. Uh, so that's something I wanna work toward. However, for a brand new rescue dog or for a puppy, crates are a must, guys absolute must. They are wonderful for housebreaking. They're wonderful for teaching your dogs to be, uh, be alone without you for separation anxiety reasons. And, um, you know, again, it's, you have to think about it as when you leave the house, the information leaves, right? Like you leave your dog behind and you leave the house, all that training structure rules, any of that stuff, it's gone because you're gone. So the crate kind of allows us to keep a boundary in place, keep rules in place. So your dog can learn to eventually be without it. Another little side note on a crate, guys. Um, look, for my, someone like myself, we live in a hurricane-prone area. God forbid we have to evacuate for an emergency. If we have to go to a shelter, if we have to go to a, a place that doesn't let dogs be loose, my dog needs to know how to utilize a crate. So even if it's been six, seven years since my dog's been in a crate, if I conditioned it correctly, my dog can still go in. Look, prime example, um, Riker, one of my dogs, he's been out of his crate for a long time now, he does wonderful. However, I was out of town and I had one of my family members board him. They have another dog, they also have a bunch of kids and toys and things like that, things that Riker may not be used to. I personally, look, I don't think he would have messed with anything, but I'm not gonna risk it. I'm not gonna risk it for their stuff and I'm not gonna risk it uh, for Riker's sake. You know, it's just, I'm not there, I don't know. Um, so he's boarding in a strange place. I asked them to just crate him when they leave. He was totally cool with it, didn't mind. He loves his crate. Hasn't been crated in forever, but went right in as if he'd done it a thousand times before, okay? Importance of having a crate. Those moments you may not consider down the road that you might need a crate for, that you're, you know. Another one, look guys, I, I like to go on vacation to the mountains and we rent an Airbnb. Some of those places allow dogs, we bring our dogs with us. However, if we leave, the dogs have to be crated. I love that rule because these people don't know me. They don't know what my dog's gonna do. My dog should need to be created in a home that's not mine. I'm cool with that. My dogs are cool with that. Violet, who hasn't been created since she was a puppy and she's almost nine years old, went right in a crate, no problem. Laid down, relaxed, totally cool with it. So again, crate, crate, crate. Cannot stress it enough. It's important that you utilize the crate for your training, okay? Um, 
Speaking of crate and house breaking, let's talk about those pee pads. I'm just gonna try to keep it in a nutshell here. Guys, stop using pee pads. Just stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. There are very, very few instances if you have a tiny dog and you live 20 floors up in an apartment, might be a case for utilizing a pee pad. Maybe, even then, I would still try to avoid it because I hate them so much. Um, it's only going to confuse your dog. Why are we trying to overcomplicate things? Stop making somebody else rich by buying these stupid pee pads. Stop it. There, enough said, nutshell, good, cool. Um, <laughs> all right, <laughs> I know, I know. What about clickers? We've talked about clicker training before. I'm gonna try to keep this one in a nutshell too. Look, we already use a clicker. It's called saying good boy. We're not gonna get into the depths of what a bridge is today. You can check out all my other episodes on Psychology 101 and all kinds of psychology fun terminology. Um, but needless to say, we already have a clicker and it's saying good boy. I don't understand why we need a clicker because we literally are doing that with our voice. We're, we're, we're bridging a behavior by saying good boy. It's the same thing as a click. It is literally no different. You do not need a clicker. Stop using clickers. What happens when you need the clicker and you don't have it? Then what? What, you just, you're out of luck? Yeah, that's it. So I don't like using tools that I, I have to have, like, right? Even, even a treat, I can substitute a good boy and affection for. Even if I don't have a treat on me, I can still say good boy. Can't click anything if I don't have the freaking clicker on me, right? So, um, <laughs> speaking, uh, speaking of tools that we shouldn't be using, shot collars. I know there's trainers out there that swear by them. I know, I, I'm never gonna get on board with it, guys. I just, I've seen it over and over. Two dogs recently I worked with, um, a previous trainer years ago before the family had moved down to Florida, they do shot collars with. And their dogs are sweet, like they're sweet dogs. There's issues. There are issues. And I can almost guarantee the shot collar did not help those situations and in fact made it worse because it takes away a dog's confidence not every time, but I see it time and time again where I have a client who says, oh, we, we had another trainer who came in and we used shot collars and our dog is not great still. Well, no <laughs> like, I'm sorry. If I was getting shocked, I don't think it would make me better either. Um, there's better ways to provide a punishment, guys. This is what drives me nuts. I get the concept of what trainers are trying to accomplish with a shot collar. It's just in my opinion, you don't need it. You just don't. You just don't. It's that simple. I don't like shot collars. I could never see myself using one. I've never used one. Um, that's all there is to that. Other types of collars, there are choke collars and prong collars. I don't have a problem with either one of those. I prefer not to use them. I prefer to stick to the martingale. That is my preference. That's what we try to do. I start with a martingale. We go up if we need to. Sometimes we use a choke collar and in even more rare instances, we use a prong collar. If used properly, there is nothing wrong with those tools. It's not shocking a dog. Um, so, you know, mm, all right, all right, enough said, enough said, enough said. <laughs> okay, now we can also think of other things as training tools. Like we already kind of went to the, how about like a dog bed? People don't necessarily think of a dog bed as a training tool, um, but it is. We've talked about the spot command recently. Teaching our dog a spot, teaching our dog a place command, that's a tool. We have to start thinking of all these things as not like a end-all be-all, right? It's not going to just be treats that trains our dogs. It's not just going to be the right collar. It's not just going to be the walks. It's not just going to be the crate. It's not just going to be one thing. It's all of these tools used properly added up that equals a better dog. So when we talk about training tools, it's not like this magical fix thing. That's why I, the harness is driving nuts because of how they're all advertised as this magical fix. And guys, in all the years I've been doing this, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a magical fix when it comes to pets' behavior, and for that matter, psychology in general. Guys, how many of you have been to a therapist before, and how many of you solved all of your problems in one session with a therapist? 
Two, three, four, no, you didn't. You didn't because it takes time and work and it's no different when it comes to behavior with your dog. So it's all about knowing how to use these training tools properly, uh, using the correct tools properly, uh, or rather in general, using the correct tools to start with, then using them properly. <laughs> all right. Very important factors in creating a good dog. But again, when it comes to tools in dog training, I don't have this giant tool belt. I'm not walking around with 50,000 things on me. When it comes to a walk, I keep it simple. Leash, collar, poop bags, treats, and treat pouch. That's all I need. Okay. From there, we have all of our other training tools uh, that we can utilize. But um, remember, when in doubt, guys, when in doubt, when it comes to our training tools, I want you to kiss it. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. All right. Remember, dogs are very simplistic animals, so we have to come down to their level in order to to cue in to uh, uh, their training and their behavior. They can't come up to us. We have to come down to them. So overcomplicating it with 50,000 different training tools, it's not going to help anything. Keep it simple. Keep it down to a few training tools and you'll have better success in working and training with your dog. The answer to today's trivia question, which animal group makes up the largest percentage of the world's organisms? Well, we can answer this two different ways, really. Yes, we can either look at it in terms of number of species overall, or we can consider the number of individual organisms. Now, in terms of species, there are more than 1 million documented insects in the world, and 2.5 million documented species of total living organisms. So insects make up nearly 40% of all living species in the world. So clearly insects take it right there. But looking at it from the individual numbers, well, the answer might just be ants. Yes, there are over 14,000 known species of ants, which can each make up very large colonies, some of them in easily in the tens of thousands or more. And some scientists have even made credible calculations suggesting that the weight of all ants on the planet is greater than that of all of the humans. Makes you really thrilled to answer the size they are, doesn't it? <laughs> Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the University of Colorado. Now, the University of Colorado was founded in 1876, and it is the flagship school of the University of Colorado system. Now, the mascot of a school on the western frontier, it couldn't just be some bulldog or some other run-of-the-mill mascot. No, no, no. Their mascot needed to represent the region while also showing strength and tenacity. So the University of Colorado's mascot is the Buffalo. Yes, the University of Colorado Buffaloes. It was actually a contest held by the school's newspaper in 1934, which decided the school's mascot. Prior to 1934, the school uh, athletic programs had actually been referred to by many different names, such as the Arapahoes, the Bighorns, the Frontiersmen, the Grizzlies, the Hornets, the Silver and Gold, the Silver Helmets, and the Yellow Jackets. <laughs> you could see why they needed to, to kind of find just one. The contest was created to bring an end to all of this multi-mascot madness, with the winner being a man named A.J. Dixon from Boulder, Colorado, and he actually won a $5 prize for the contest as well. Now, at the last game of the 1934 season, some students ended up paying $25 to rent a buffalo calf to stand on the sidelines. It took one cowboy and four students to wrangle the calf and keep him calm during the game, of course, Animal hadn't been trained for that. It was just kind of brought, right? Now, the game ended in a 7-0 win for Colorado, and the tradition began. 
There were live buffaloes used regularly, uh, regularly at games starting in the 1940s, but it was not until 1966 that a full-time buffalo was brought to all the home games. Freshman class officer Bill Lowry, he ended up talking his father into buying and donating the original Ralphie, the name given to the mascot, in March of 1966. The student body government then made it the responsibility of the sophomore class to take Ralphie to all of the home football games. Now, her care, guys, it's taken very seriously. Yes, she has an entire team, or herd, Ralphie's herd, love it, that provide her care. She even has her own ranch in an undisclosed location to keep her safe and comfortable. The only people who know where the location is and are the only people allowed to visit it are her current staff of caretakers and any veterinary staff as well. Now, she has a special trailer that's designed just for her, and it's cleaned any time that she's moved, including between the halves at the football games. Now, I do want to take just a moment and clear up a few misconceptions about the name of a buffalo. Now, Ralphie, the, the buffalo, and all of the, you know, the school's mascot, they're all called the buffalo. But in fact, she is an American bison. Yes, there actually are no buffaloes that have ever lived in North America. Yes, bison have the characteristic large humps at their shoulders. You can even see it in the Colorado's mascot. Very broad shoulders above, uh, right behind their uh, heads, and they have these long, large heads and upward-growing horns as compared to the outward-growing horns of the buffalo. Bison are found in North America and Europe, while buffalo are actually only native to Africa and Asia. Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Mike from New York. Mike says, do I really need to spend money on flea and tick and heartworm meds? I live in a city environment and there are not many mosquitoes here. Is this something I really need to be concerned about? All right, Mike, I, I see what you're saying, right? There's not many mosquitoes. That's how heartworm is transferred. Fleas and ticks, though, you know, look, I, look I'll be honest, Mike, yes, Yes is the short answer here. You really do need to be. Look, heartworms are one of those things that it's terrifying. You don't want your dog to get it. It is not something you want them to end up with. The treatments are rough. It can take a long time. Just, just It's just not worth it. I'm just being 100% honest. It's just not worth it. It is worth it to pay for it. It is not worth it to have to deal with heartworms. So let's just start there. Okay, they have these great... Uh, new heartworm medications where they actually have injections that can last either six months or one year. So if that's part of it too, having to remember monthly, I get it. It's a pain. Um, but there are other great medications out there for that now. And they're really, they're not that expensive. It's not that bad. And to me, to keep your dog healthy and happy, it's a small price to pay. Fleas and ticks, on the other hand, hey, look, you can still get them. You're in the city. They're, they're absolutely 100% can be fleas. Fleas don't need grass. Fleas just need something to bite and eat. They just need blood. Uh, it's the same thing with ticks. So, no, you need to have your dog on flea and ticks. As a matter of fact, the city almost makes me more nervous because there's more people. There's more stuff. There's more... Mm -mm. I mean, I'm a country boy. Maybe that's part of it. I'm not a country boy, but I'm a country boy. I'm sure as hell not a city boy. I'm just being honest. I'm just not. Um, not a city person. So, look, if it were me, even if I was living in the city, absolutely. I don't care where I, I flea and tick and heartworm meds. It, it's a no-brainer. Uh, I know, Mike, I know it can add up, but here's the truthful, honest, professional part of me. If you can't afford these things, you probably shouldn't have a dog. I'm just, just being honest. Um, we've got to take proper care of our pets and that heartworm and flea and tick meds. Those are one of the most basic and best ways we can do that. So 
Please stay on top of it. Make sure you're keeping your dogs, or dog rather, medicated on your <clears throat> on the flea and tick and heartworm meds. Next question. This comes from Tammy from Virginia. Tammy says, do you have any suggestions for cheaper vaccinations? It's just becoming so expensive to keep my dog up to date on everything. Another great question. Uh, Tammy, this is kind of similar to Mike's, right? Vaccinations are not flea and tick or heartworms, but they're still equally as important. Um, you know, for Mike, if he was living in the city, even more important to have the vaccinations. You're around a lot of dogs, a lot of different, I mean, everything, right? Um, look, Cheaper vaccinations, obviously you're still giving your dogs the vaccines, that's why you're asking for cheaper ones, because yeah, it's getting expensive, I totally understand it. Um, look, some vets are very overpriced when it comes to these things, and I don't want you to find a bad vet, so be sure you vet your vets. <laughs> uh, but maybe that's part of the problem, maybe you just need to go find a new vet office, because maybe your vet's just overcharging a little bit. With that said, there are wonderful ways through the Humane Society. Um, they often will do monthly or, or quarterly uh, cheap vaccinations, right? It's not that the vaccine is any less potent or anything, right? Um, but they can do it cheaper because they can buy it in bulk because they don't have the staffing that a veterinary office does because they're only giving vaccines and not doing any other treatments. Uh, it can help them keep the price of that down. Pet smart, uh, excuse me, pet supermarket, which I believe is more of a Southeastern, uh, chain of pet stores, but they used to do in my area in Orlando once a month, once a month, they actually had a mobile vet that would come in and offer these cheap vaccines. And I'm talking 15 to 20 bucks a vaccine. Um, really great stuff. At the same time, for me personally, I like to have a relationship with my vet. I like to know who my veterinarian is. I want to be able to call them at a moment's notice. I have four dogs and a cat. You know, like I need to have that relationship. That's just, that's me. I'm willing to pay a little more for that. Um, it helps that I, you know, it's my business, it's, <laughs> it's a write-off. Uh, so that helps because my dogs are all part of my business. They're not just pets, they are working animals. Um, but yeah, with that said, there are ways, just Google, right? Google affordable vaccinations, cheap vaccinations in your area. You might find some of these mobile providers provide it cheaper, or like I said, maybe just need to change that, or look into your local humane society. Uh, those would be, even the local rescue, any local rescue, give them a call. They might be able to point you in the right direction for somebody locally that offers that. Um, but yeah, check around, see what you can find. But at the end of the day, you know, we gotta keep our dogs vaccinated, so don't don't, don't give up on the vaccinations. Please keep vaccinating your dogs, very important. Uh, but I hope that helps you find a more affordable alternative, because I know it, it prices for everything, right? It's just getting outrageous. So good luck, Tammy, in your, in your hunt for finding cheaper vaccinations for your pup. That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at Dogcast. Head on over to my YouTube page at Dogcast, or support the show even further by becoming a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. If you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, scroll on down, click that five-star rating or give me the thumbs up. I would greatly appreciate it. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporters, Ragula Wright and Jill Norenberg, and my dog friend, Maureen Crossan. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.